Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable where we speak with founders and other people associated with the startup ecosystem. Today my guest is Linda Wanabaga, who is founder and CEO of Confexi and the inventor of the Linda Bra. Linda is challenging the status quo of the female health market. She has a strong desire to disrupt the femcare femtech industry by offering innovative solutions and education around female health. Into her third startup, Linda has recently co-founded another femtech company, which will develop a medical connected device within the field of genital prolapse and incontinence. We have plenty to discuss. So let's meet Linda. So my name is Linda Wonneberger. I'm from Berlin, Germany. I have my own startup uh, three and a half years ago. It's a Complexi GmbH. And I started with, well, just a problem I had myself and I could never find a comfortable but still attractive bra for a bigger breasted woman. And I thought that's so annoying. So I said, well, let's try to do better. And I did. I made Linda bra. It's a patented bra that I produce and also sell online. And after about one and a half years into business, I also founded the first femcare platform. It's Kuka by Linda. And on Kuka, we sell a lot of products uh, around female health. So from gear panties to cycle trackers to teas in menopause to products for intimate health. And we also educate on Kuka around like any female health topic. And now just a couple of weeks ago, actually, I'm also founding a new startup, <laughs> also in the femtech area, which will be a medical product in the field of incontinence, pelvic war. Yes, that's it. That's brilliant. Thanks for that introduction. One thing I found interesting, and we'll get to explore each of those channels, but you have such a focus on education as well, and it is so front of mind. Could you just take me through a little bit of how you think about that and what you've learned in trying to bring that education to your market? So when I started, when I came up with the idea around a femcare platform, I realized that there are so many femcare, femtech startups like popping out all over the world with like so many great new products. But actually like the end consumer, like she doesn't even know that these products exist. So when we take, for example, Brigitte, Brigitte is 55 and she's uh, incontinent. So Brigitte doesn't even know that there is like a nice, panty made out of cotton that could also hold 60 milliliter of fluid but she just like wear, has to wear diapers every single day which also does something with her self-confidence uh, it's not good for intimate health and uh, well she's not going to search for for a, a cotton incontinence panty but she is educating herself and searching for uh, incontinent things so I always have this kind of like content driven e-commerce aspect where I first give information about incontinence and stress incontinence, where does it come from? Kind of have this community of you're not alone. Actually, every third woman in the world is incontinent. And then from that education, I then show Brigitte, hey, there is this panty that actually does this and this and this, and this is better for your health, it's better for your self-confidence, and it's also better for the environment. So I kind of always have that twist on not only selling, but educating and then offer products that really help and, and add value. 
with your attracting and retaining customers, to your point, people don't necessarily know to look for you. How do you go about doing that? We have lots of like high, highly zero optimized content. And we, we always focus also on different niche keywords that we focus on. And then we get traffic through that. So there's a lot of also taboo things around female health that women are not talking about, that you also don't find a lot of content online. But there is a lot of search volume and we concentrate on that. So for example, one of our most hitted articles is about how to color intimate hair. <laughs> because the thing is that women, like once they see, okay, they get gray down there, for them, it's kind of like they're losing their sexuality. Like this is the sign of getting old, but no one really talks about it. And then we find these topics and then build content around it and then get the traffic and then sell the products for that people in that, let's say, a problem area or need area. That's interesting. So educate, get people to think about something they mightn't even think about and let them know that there's a way to approach it and that's where you can help. There's a book I read just recently, very recently, and it's the title is something like They Ask You Answer. It's two points around content. And it's about if these are the questions that people are wanting to have answers to, create content and drive the traffic in that way. Important to also have the content in a way that makes especially women feel good because a lot of content around female health is written in a way that well they were not they were not self confident so and kind of having this uh, approach on educating and being like well you're not alone how many women do you know that are incontinent probably not a lot but then if you think well every third woman is incontinent maybe you do know a lot but no one really talks about it. You raise a great point here and you've used the term self-esteem a couple of times already. And that was something that also just really jumped off the pages of your of your content, your collateral about self-esteem and what that means for confidence. So it's one thing to approach helping from a structural and a procedural point of view, but how does it make you feel? And so that confidence is a remarkable outcome of, of what you're doing. How do you then build that into your product development? I think especially with the new product that we're now working on, this is like one of the, the most like taboo topics ever. So it's prolapse, like uterus prolapse connected with incontinence. And here, like all of the products that are on the market now, well, basically, if you just look at them, it just screams that you're sick. You're old and sick and something is broken. And there we try to twist a medical product into a lifestyle product. So it seems like a lifestyle product that you really like to use. And that's a lot with wording, branding, colors, uh, community. And it takes a while and it's not an easy task, but this is what makes it fun. For me, it's also, I think, especially women, we kind of want to like give something back when we have a startup. And this uh, self-awareness, self-confidence, like this is, for me, this is such a big key of happiness. And I want to transport that in, in everything I do. And this is also why it keeps me so happy doing this. Could you take me down the path of diversity and inclusion a little bit here? And from a couple of perspectives, being a female founder, but also in your community, so in the startup community in Berlin, what have been your observations, some of the changes, what would be some things that maybe you would encourage people to think about adjusting in their behaviors around diversity and inclusion? One of the main like pitfalls I had at the beginning is that myself, and I think it's also kind of 
in our female body that we're underestimating ourselves. So we are underselling ourselves and men tend to oversell themselves. But in a startup world, you have to oversell yourself because otherwise no one gives you money. No one gives money to a founder that doubts herself. So you have to have this really strong approach and also be able to say no. Because I've also had the experience that especially male investors, like when they like your idea, they then tend to twist your idea into their idea. And then they think it's great. (laughs) And then you have to find your way on being self-confident to also listen to investors, but also be brave enough to take your own way. And this is something like deep inside of us women that we kind of question things. And we, in the startup world, we have to just be braver. In fact, as you were speaking, the word bravado was in my mind. So it's interesting you finish your sentence with with brave. And I, I wonder what it was like from that first day of your first startup to where you are now. What would be the one or two things, the levers that you would encourage any new potential founder, be they male or female, to say, out of all of the things you see before yourself, here are two things that I suggest you really drive hard at. So when I started, I knew for quite a while that I wanted to start a company, but I wasn't really sure what I want to do. And this bra thing was just, you know, I thought, okay, that's so simple. Why has not, not someone else did it before? So for quite some time, I was like, well, I don't have the perfect idea. And then I just took this idea and then I went for it and it went very well. So I would just like, don't wait. A lot of us wait for the perfect idea, wait for the perfect co-founder, wait for the perfect investment, just go for it. And now I have three business and still Linda Bra is still working and it's still generating money and it's profitable. It's not huge, but it works. So that's, that's the first thing, go for it. And then what I also found is that you have to take decisions really, really fast. If you're not a fast decision maker, everything takes too much time. And in started life, you don't have time. You don't have the resources to have time. So take decisions fast. And once something went wrong or a decision was not the right one, don't waste your time on being angry about it and just take the next decision and learn from it. And always, startup life is always two steps forward, one step backward. And you have to realize that this step backward, it's going to be there all the time. And you just have to accept it. The market that you are in and the products that you've brought to the market so far and the the new startup, the way I think about them, they're crowded markets. There was no one knocking on your door begging for you to start any of those lines, yet you were able to find a space for yourself in those areas. That's incredible granularity. How do you work out what not to do? How do you work out the things to to push to the side to help you make the decisions and to land on the, the areas to go for? So first, when, when I when I started having an idea, it kind of like develops from something that is missing, from a problem I see, from a product that I miss, and then I start to develop it. And then if I have a good feeling with it, and I find a support also around me in the form of mentors, maybe a co-founder, then I go for it. I think that's as easy as that. And I think it's also that when something doesn't work out, you have to leave it. You have to also let it go. I think this is something that I'm probably not the best in. I probably will have all of my three businesses until I'm really old because I cannot let it go. Even though there are probably also other ideas or other startups that you can scale and grow insanely, that you can become super rich and is not as difficult in developing a medical product for a 
prolapse, but still, I like it. Do you think you need to stay in a certain lane to bring true passion to your work? Your expression of what you're doing, the passion comes through. Let me put it this way. If somebody came along with an idea with you that was away from health or or femtech, would you gravitate to that? Or is it your inclination to stay in the areas that you know you understand best? Funny that you asked me that because in a couple of the last couple of months, I had quite a few, let's say, colleagues contacting uh, me to to also start other startups, also in the field of prop tech, fintech. And at first, I was very intrigued, like highly financially supported because investors like prop tech and fintech. And then at the end, I, I said I didn't want to go for it because my heart doesn't beat faster if I think about it. And for me, this kind of femtag is still a position for myself that I see opportunity in really becoming like one of the femcare femtech founders. And that's why I want to stay in that area. And I think it's also, I mean, like this, it's not just an industry about money. It's about an industry that targets half of the human population. And I feel that more products have to be invented in this area. So I will probably... I mean, I, I I cannot promise you, but I try to stay in the probably in the femtech femcare world. You're clearly a disruptor, and in doing that with the Linda Bra, you have a patent. What was that experience like for you? Was that the first time that you had applied for a patent and been awarded? At the beginning, it was actually quite in, quite funny because like after half a year, I started Linda Bra. I got into a German TV show. It's kind of was uh, Kast Maschmeyer. He's like one of the biggest investors here in Germany and was kind of a reality show. So it's not like Shark Tank, but like a Shark Tank that goes like eight weeks on primetime TV. And there, obviously, there were so many other amazing innovations. And I was only the one with, oh, that's Linda with her bra, Linda bra, you know? So it was kind of, so everyone asked me, said, what's really special about it? And for me, the first thing was, okay, if I patent it, I can always say everyone, also males, get that something new, innovative. They don't have to understand why it is innovative, but that's already it. So I was, okay, I want to have this uh, special. I want that everyone gets that innovative. And for me, it was also one of the, the key components in front of investors, because once you say, okay, you have a page in it, well, they start listening. That's interesting. That's the, the brand, regardless of the process, it brings its own power to the table. That's really interesting. One thing that I've been fortunate enough to touch into at different times, a little bit into the startup world across the US and in APAC and into India, but not in Europe. How would you describe the startup community and environment in Berlin? I think there are a lot of startups here. Uh, I think it's a it's a community where we all support each other. There's also quite a lot of support from the government. But uh, the support from the government is it's also quite one-sided. So I think if, if you're in fintech uh, or in AI, <laughs> you do get quite some support. But if you do it smart, there are certain ways that uh, Germany also supports you, which is great. And there are, well, there are so, like, probably you can, like every single day, maybe not now during Corona times, but normally every single day, you can probably go to five events that are for startups, with startups. So the community here is, is super great. And also a lot of femcare startups are here in Berlin. I work with a, a tech company and we have our own startup accelerator. It's been running for over two years now, four-month cohorts, 
the company doesn't take an equity position. They try to help the innovators turn their innovation to being uh, enterprise ready, enterprise class. It's a wonderful program. Right now, the company has just extended that to have a specific cohort that the name of the program is Accelerator, the Accelerator program. And now we have the Accelerate Her program. So there is a cohort that is specific to, and it must have at least a female co-founder in each of the startups to be in that cohort. And it is just such an exciting time to see that, all due respect to my employer, great global tech company, been successful 30 years, that they would take that step to invest. And I love the fact that the company doesn't take an equity position. It is truly about nurturing and developing and then releasing to the wild for the companies to to do their, their very best. I think that there's the opportunity to bring that level of clarity to where companies are looking to invest and whether it's through startup incubators generically or through tech companies. I love the experience that you're sharing with me today. And I, I just wonder, have you had experiences with accelerator programs? And then I'd like to move on to the question around mentors and coaches. As I'm a single female founder with Belinda Bra and Kuka Belinda, I could not go into accelerator programs because they wouldn't allow single founders. Now with the new company, we are an incubator. It's called the Vision Health Pioneers Incubator. It runs for a half year and the founders are financially supported. And they also go through a lot of different uh, mentorships. They have an office space there and it's paid by the government. So they're not taking shares. But also for me, it was always difficult to join these because like now I could also not join this incubator because I already have too much experience, (laughs) which was kind of for me like a pity. And now we are also in this program, we are also applying for a new incubator with more research and development and also within health. And here I can also not join because of that. So there are some boundaries, especially in Germany, where it makes uh, some people hard uh, to join. But uh, still, if you're a team, if you're a diverse team, and if you're rather young, and you don't have so much experience, it's quite easy to get in. But then at one point, it's a bit more difficult. But well, that's how it is. There's something that's a little bit obtuse about that being the way that it is, but (laughs) if it's the way it is, it's the way it is. We move on to the topic of mentors and coaches, and what would you guide somebody to think about when they're looking for mentors and coaches? So I guess an expression of your experience, but also uh, what your learnings have been over the time. So right at the beginning, I had uh, a few mentors that I regularly talked to, and what was like at the beginning, this was great. Like, especially one of my uh, mentors is also one of my first time investors. We spent a lot of time together and he also pushed me very hard to also like even from decisions match uh, faster and also pushing me to to launch my product, even though I wasn't at that time 100% happy with it, but just to go for it. And at the beginning, I really, really liked and needed that support. I also have quite a few mentors that also guide me through through different processes. I'm also part of the entrepreneurship organization and, and these groups. For the time that I've learned now is that the more you develop also as a founder, it also becomes a bit more tricky because at the one hand side, you have mentors that want to teach you But the moment you're not listening anymore, are you doing it differently? It can become difficult. So I think it's it's 
important to find mentors for the specific need and time that you need them. And then also be brave enough to move on if you're realizing, well, this doesn't help me anymore, or I want to go in another direction. And also kind of be brave enough to say, well, this is a good idea, but I still want to do it differently. And if if it was around this decision, like stand to it and do it better the next time. But find a good line of listening to someone and listening to yourself as well. Great advice. And that might be just a wonderful place for us to finish today's conversation. Linda, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been wonderful to meet. Tremendous story. Congratulations on starting into your third venture. I'm sure it'll go great. Thanks for the conversation and say hi to Down Under for me. (laughs) I will do that. (laughs) If I leave you thinking there is a lot more to learn from Linda, then we are in agreement. As always, I appreciate your feedback. Thanks for listening and bye for now.